This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Hello, I'm your host, Brian Wagner, a licensed professional engineer. And in this episode of the Engineering Quality Control Podcast, I'm excited to walk down memory road with you and revisit the top 10 quality engineering control podcast episodes since the inception of this podcast. We'll delve into the insights, discussions, and the valuable takeaways from these episodes. As I look back on this journey so far, it's been amazing to see how much that we have learned and grown together as a community of professional engineers seeking to produce the highest quality work that we can, whether it's been working independently or with your firm, but then also in collaboration working with others across various disciplines, including architecture, inspections, and construction. The shared experiences and expertise that our guests have brought to the table have been undeniably broadened my own understanding and perspectives on this subject, and no doubt have helped our listeners greatly. I do mention that we do say goodbye for the season and want to express my sincere gratitude to all of you for your unwavering support and engagement. Your feedback and suggestions have been instrumental in the craft of this podcast, making it better through our own experiences. And although we will be taking a break for a few months, I can assure you that we will be back with even more exciting episodes and thought-provoking discussions in the future. But now, let's jump right in to this episode today. Starting off in 10th place, episode 15 featured a conversation with Eric Williamson, the author of the book, How to Work with Jerks, Getting Stuff Done with People You Can't Stand. We talked about how engineering professionals can work alongside difficult people at their firms and how engineering leaders can motivate and retain their staff to continue getting the maximum productivity out of them. Let's hear what he had to say. One of the things I truly realized is that the more of a jerk I became, the more I allowed my ego to become my amigo, the more isolated I was. I really had to learn fast how to break that isolation because I needed them. I needed people, you know, I needed their consult, needed their advice, I needed their help on all different types of things. So some things that what we can do in order to work better with jerks or not even become one, there's a few things. And this is for leaders too, leaders and engineering leaders and um, professional engineers, you can definitely benefit from this. For engineering leaders specifically though, one thing that I think is inherent for them to do is to create a safe environment, create an environment where engineers love to innovate. They can ask questions, they can challenge the status quo, let their voice be heard. And you can do that by understanding what people value and what drives them. If I were working with an engineering company right now, one of the first things I would do is I would do this core values exercise so that when everyone understands 
what they value and why, what drives them to do certain things. Because once you understand that, now you know the perspective and you know how to dive into a conversation. You know how to treat those challenging situations where there's conflict. Coming in at number nine, episode 12 is where I talked with Stephen Rinks, PMP, PE, and Director of Engineering at American Surveying and Engineering. On episode 12, we talked about quality control on transportation projects and how some challenges that you might deal with on large transportation projects. Talked about how you must fine tune your quality plan to suit every project and how you should continuously revise it. Let's listen to the great piece of advice from Stephen about producing high quality documents. We work on a lot of projects and what happens is that you may not necessarily uh, fine tune your uh, quality plan to that specific project. There may be some things you want to take out, uh, some things you want to add. So it needs to be uh, revised uh, continuously and, and constantly to the particular project that you're working on, Brian. Right. And I think that's important is recognizing how important it is to be specific because we work on so many different jobs. Yeah, it's the same maybe discipline or the same type of job, but there's no two jobs that are the same. And there's no two projects that'll ever be the same. Architects can maybe put a building on the same lot twice, but odds are the utility connections aren't even going to be in the same places. The drainage is definitely not going to be the same. There's just so many different things. At number eight, episode nine featured this discussion with Sharon Day, an architect and senior associate with GWWO Architects, about quality control in the construction phase of projects and about planning that takes place in the design phase. Let's hear what she had to say about this. Whether it's during a quality control review or if I was taking this project over into construction, the biggest thing you're looking for is like, what's the scope? First, you got to just gotta get the general, what are we doing here kind of a thing to get a handle on the, the sheer size and, and scope of things. But then also you're trying to really look for any special details or areas that we're kind of most concerned about. The general stuff where it's just general wall construction, things like that, those things are pretty common and you get used to seeing those things, but you also then want to pay attention to what's special about this project. Did we have an area of concern during design where we were trying to, you know, cram 10 pounds of things in a five pound bag kind of a thing? And just being aware of those things to try to identify where questions may come up and what you're looking for during construction. And quality control, like if I'm being able to review things during design in the CD phase. I focus a lot on coordination between us and other disciplines, but also between disciplines, especially also between drawings and specifications. You're trying to identify those things that just from my past experiences, where do the questions usually or the issues come up? You try to head that off early. In seventh place, episode 16, where I talked with Andrew Bennett, Regional Vice President at Pannoni Associates, about quality control on projects and how he has maintained consistent project quality across his teams and projects. Here's a short clip from Andrew on how standardizing quality items is important at their firm. They are always living and breathing processes, and we should always be looking for continuous improvement. 
So if someone shows us something better, we'd be silly not to adopt it. That said, as you know, being an engineer, the engineers by and large are pretty confident that their way is better than your way. There's some of that people management that has to occur too. I did search and rescue training with my dog for about 10 years. And the one thing that we always, the running joke with dog trainers was the only thing two dog trainers would agree on was what the third dog trainer was doing wrong. There have been times in my career where it's the same thing. The only thing that two engineers sometimes will agree on is what the third engineer didn't do right. What I tell people is that there is more than one right way. That said, there are wrong ways. There are things that that are are absolutely wrong and we shouldn't do those. But there is generally in life more than one right way. We're just going to pick the way that works best for most people. It goes back to learning styles, even that some people are visual, some people have to do it to understand it, and other people can just read it and be like, oh, I got it. Being able to be a custom and, and make those changes is a commendment to you and Pannoni, and, and it's something that we all need to embrace. The only constant in life is change. So we need to understand that things are going to change and we need to adapt with them. I remember my first company was a large international firm, it was like 2,500 people. And they were very rigid in a lot of ways. And I don't mean it in a bad way, but they would tell you whether swarm water was one word or two words. And at first, I really frustrated me. I mean, I came out of Lehigh with my masters, all gung-ho with myself. And, uh, and I'm like, why do they have to mandate this or that? But what I realized and why I believe in standardization so much is that it freed me to think about what I should be thinking about. I shouldn't be worrying about whether it's one word or two words. I should be focused on the design and creativity that's required to do perform my job correctly. We, especially in my region, like to standardize things because I think it frees us to think about what we need to think about and not try to reinvent a process or adapt somebody else's process because we're forced to or anything else. You know what you got to do, and then you try to spend your energy wisely. I think that's a great takeaway for our listeners that that's one of the ultimate benefits of standardizing things. It, It allows you to not have to think about what is standardized, right? Right. You're responsible for a lot of client service and business development across the various offices. We focus on like engineering quality control and producing that best product at the end, but how do you manage quality control maybe across those offices? And how do you focus on that end product being consistent, even though there's many, many jurisdictions and many, many different clients? Do you have any technology or any things that you're doing to try to standardize those quality items? Well, one of the things that we did from a proposal standpoint and a report standpoint is we standardized a multidisciplinary proposal because as you, as you kind of alluded to, when you're in land development, you kind of tend to be the umbrella. You're not only doing your particular aspect of the job, but you have survey involved, you can have transportation involved, you can have geotech involved. And we want to have one proposal where all these entities have their base language in there. So again, they're not reinventing the wheel. It's much more, it's a very large document. I think it's about 35 pages. It's more about taking things out than trying to think of things you might've forgotten to put things in. We have that standardized and then it all looks the same, you know, from each discipline as they put their, give us their input, it all looks the same. We have a limited service agreement, which we use as almost like a PO kind of document. It's a one page up to about $15,000. You should be able to describe the scope in bullets. There should be no ambiguity. It should be really clear. We're going to set five pins on this property, that kind of thing. It's usually one discipline. And then we attach terms and conditions and fees and stuff, but it's, it's a very clean way to get uh, information to a client. 
And then we have a process and we have reports that look the same. So it doesn't really matter, at least formatting wise, it doesn't really matter what discipline is creating the report. They shouldn't look and feel like a Pannoni report. Episode seven claimed the sixth spot in our conversation with Wayne Martin about his experience working for a large firms with ISO 9001 certification, what it is and why it's important. So let's hear what he had to say about the ISO certification. ISO 9001 is a definitely a good program. It is basically check and balance process, uh, quality assurance, quality control, which is essentially a process where there's someone's doing the work and then someone's reviewing the work and ensuring that there's those checks and balances are crossed off for not only the personal engineering side, but the product itself and the client and the public. So it's definitely a good process to have in hand. And if you follow it as required, it should eliminate a lot of the miscellaneous errors. We call them errors and omissions in our particular field. Uh, so the goal is to kind of minimize that as much as possible by having a third party that doesn't have any experience or understanding of a project to review that project and get the proper review and signatures prior to submitting that deliverable to your client. At number five, episode 11, where I talked with Raymond Gradwell about quality control and management of project proposals, contracts, and specifications got away from the plans and really looked at the paperwork in this episode. Ray provided some great tips on producing high quality project proposals. So let's hear what he had to say. As the design develops, we really use a lot of Bluebeam and Bluebeam review sessions. Those are basically plan markups sessions where we have every engineer in my group has a, a license to Bluebeam. And a lot of our clients actually like the Bluebeam review sessions with respect to plan reviews and QC checks. So we use those pretty extensively. We use, we use some agencies like the you know three colors, that the red, the green, and the blue, basically markup review sessions to identify the comment and the comment response and how the comment was addressed. But we use the Bluebeam has been a, a great tool for, you know, how not the QC checks of documents. In fourth place, episode eight featured a discussion with Karen Burlingame an architect and principal at Grimm and Parker Architects. We talked about how architecture and engineering interact and influence each other and the systems that they have established for quality control across their large firm. This is what she had to say. Our approach is based on three things, sort of doing it right the first time, never make the same mistake twice, and two heads are better than one. So we've developed a pretty detailed uh, quality control manual that includes our sort of process and procedures, as well as a lot of detailed checklists, a pretty detailed coordination checklist so we can coordinate between disciplines. As I mentioned earlier, we've developed standard templates and standard details as a way of sort of embedding good practice and knowledge into the documents from the get-go. And then we also have a project guidelines manual that sort of assists in the management part of the project. We also conduct sort of a monthly lessons learned session where we can share knowledge across studios and those lessons learned sort of work their way back into our standard details and into the QC checklists. 
Taking the third spot was episode 22 with Lakevia Jackson, 2014 Black Engineer of the Year and Quality Manager at Morantinson. We talked about quality document management and how the use of logs, checklists, and mock-ups are used in her firm to manage it. Mock-ups are really good about seeing if it if it really works because we've looked at it in 2D, it worked. We looked at it in 3D, it worked. Now, when we actually try to go build it, does it does it work? So a lot of times you use that to kind of see that or even a test to see if the product can withstand what, you know, the intent was. Or if you're wanting to kind of go see different ways of what it might look like. Mock-ups can be different sizes. They can be like a real huge mock-up that's like a, a little mini building, or it could be just something that is like a two-by-two just kind of cut out. Because I know I did one on like a, a, a little mini roof mock-up. We just kind of did that in a little small scale, so that was kind of cool to do that. But mock-ups are really good also for like workmanship. I think my favorite thing about markup that sometimes people might not always think about is when you have changes in personnel, it's really good once you do your safety orientation to say, okay, here, let's have a quality orientation and let's go look at all the markups that pertain to your scope of work and then see if you have any questions or if we need to um, refer back to like the markup report where we've documented each step of um, the installation just to make sure that you understand it because sometimes projects, it could be one little thing that's different on the project than all the other projects. And sometimes people are coming to the project thinking like, oh, I always do it this way. You know, I always say that six months expensive place in business is that's what we've always done. So that's one of those things where I'm like, okay, after reviewing all these markups, you have any questions or is there something that you've done on your previous project? And most of the time I'll discover that something was kind of like slightly different or like the foreman or the superintendent or, or whatever the worker or whatever the trade person is um, doing the work, they'll be like, oh, okay. And then I'll definitely expedite, you know, like the process to make sure that the work is installed safely and, you know, with quality. I find the mock-up to be very beneficial for the product from proving that the product is the look and quality as well as just making sure you look up the kinks and the workmanship. At number two of the most listened episodes of the Engineering Quality Control Podcast was episode number 10, where I talked with Jason McCool, a licensed professional engineer and project engineer at Robbins Engineering. We talked about the hidden cost of copy and paste and how it can very much negatively affect your productivity at work. So let's hear what he had to say on how engineers can avoid falling into these traps. Having a second set of eyes, uh, whether that's a colleague or one thing I would actually suggest is kind of an intergenerational review. We tend to think of the more experienced engineer reviewing, but I would suggest you can also benefit from having the young engineers or interns look over the drawings of the more experienced engineers because it's it's kind of a two-way process for them. They have a chance to see how somebody experienced is doing it and learn from it, but then you also tell them, I want you to think critically through this and ask any questions, A, so you can learn, and B, 
because you're bringing a whole different perspective to it. You're not coming to it with, I've been doing this for 20 years. I already know what works. I proved that 10 years ago. I did that calc 10 years ago. I know, you know, well, maybe things have changed. Maybe the code's changed. Maybe this new engineer has been exposed to some things now that you weren't. And so that could be helpful. Finally, our most listened to episode of the first 29 episodes of the Engineering Quality Control Podcast. The number one most downloaded and listened to episode was episode 18, where I talked about the differences between quality assurance and quality control and how management and expectations play a role in defining these terms at your firm. So here's a quick look at the differences between the two. The quality assurance is essentially the management end of things, the oversight strategy. How are we verifying and what systems have we put into place that can be repeated and applied to each deliverable, each project, each process that we do in our company? Alternatively, quality control is the strategy of executing those expectations and applying them to the specific aspects of each project. So the question comes up is, we hear about QA, QC, or, oh, it's quality assurance, or is it quality control? But really, the end game is getting to that finish line of exactly meeting an expectation. What I think of is quality assurance, that is that foundation, maybe that's the corporate expectations. This is what you're going to do. And I think of it as like a foundation. Quality assurance is that system that we base how we approach quality control. And every company's going to be a little bit different. Every company and every firm, even firms within the same disciplines, can easily be very different because of jurisdictional requirements and all those things that we've I've talked about in the gather phase of my five-part framework that really can affect how you approach quality and those expectations that are defined both by your clients, by the approval authorities, by mandates and laws and codes versus just guidelines and policies. As we wrap up this season and take a break for only a few months, we want to express again our gratitude to our listeners and the guests for their continued support and contributions to our community, Professional Engineering. Please remember that you can find the show notes for this episode and all episodes at engineeringqualitycontrol.com. There you'll find a summary of the points that we've discussed, as well as links to all of the previous episodes that we referenced today. So until next time, friends, stay tuned and keep striving to produce the best work that you possibly can. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.com dot org.